Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hello and welcome to the Mick Clifford Podcast with the Irish Examiner. Now today we're looking to the future, but perhaps also wistfully to the past. A report by the Economic and Social Research Institute this week predicted that millennials, those generally born between around 1986 and 2000, are likely to be the first generation to have lower living standards than their parents. Just think about that. That is a really serious situation. It's been something of an evolutionary trend, certainly in the Western world for, I'd say, at least two centuries, if not more, that successive generations are in some way better off than their parents. In this country, we should be aware of it more than most, particularly with the immigrant experience. You know, people immigrate, work hard and long hours, securing the knowledge that their kids are going to have better opportunities. Even at home, it's generally accepted that the next generation will enjoy a higher standard of living. Again, thinking locally, this trend accelerated since the 1980s, the late 1980s, I suppose, into the 90s, really, when the country effectively became a rich nation. I know it might not feel like a wealthy nation sometimes, and for certain cohorts of people, they're certainly not living in any comfort, but I'm just speaking in a comparative sense with other countries. And in that regard, today's middle-aged people in this country are better off than their equivalents 30 or 40 years ago. I think there's no doubt about that. Not so the next generation down. Rising rents, unsecure employment and the disappearing prospect of ever owning their own home all loom on the horizon for today's 20 and even 30 somethings. In some ways the preceding generation or two is to blame particularly in terms of how the country evolved since as I said it kind of grew up economically in in the 1990s. The economic crash in 2008 dealt a blow to a whole way of life And while blame can and is handed out and passed around between various parties and individuals, older people were all at the scene of the crime in one way or another. Again, not so today's young. And one of the real legacies from that crash has been the long and winding road from 2008 to today's housing crisis, which is the biggest political issue, the pandemic notwithstanding. And I suppose in that respect, one newspaper headline I saw really captured it this week when he described the millennials as the trapped generation. All of that, of course, is apart from the existential threat of climate change. And again, a disproportionate burden will be on the millennials to solve that one. Unless maybe Flash Gordon arrives at a minute to midnight and saves the world, but otherwise, who knows what we're heading for. Anyway, today I'm delighted to be joined by two such millennials, Rhino Rourke and Shauna Bores. Both are working in one of today's precarious sectors, the media. And fortunately for those of us who sail in the Good Ship Irish Examiner, both have brought their talents to the newspaper as reporters. Ryan and Shauna, you're welcome. And I hope neither of you want to crawl back under a blanket after that somewhat downbeat introduction. Shauna, I'll start with you. 
just so for those of us who, who are of that older generation, as I say, Shauna, just tell us a small bit about yourself, how old you are. Um, I think you went to college, where you went to college and kind of your, your, your living circumstances. Yeah, so I'm 23. I went to college in DCU and I studied journalism. I did the undergrad there and I graduated in 2018. And precarity of jobs was was a very prominent feature. Um, the first job that I had out of college, I worked for the Times Ireland newspaper. I was there for about eight months and then the paper folded. Um, we were all made redundant, but I wasn't even on a, I wasn't a permanent staff member. I wasn't even on a contract. It was on a casual basis. So um, that was kind of my first introduction to the working world. And it, it's kind of a representation, I suppose, of people my age that, this precarity is very prevalent. Um, And then the other side of that, obviously, is the housing situation. So I'm fortunate or perhaps unfortunate, depending on how you look at it, to live at home, um, purely because the Dublin rental market just kind of makes it impossible for me to move out and for it to be a viable option for me at the minute. You know, rent kind of, you could be paying 500 euro for a single bedroom, or you could be paying like a grand for a room closer in the city centre. I've seen advertisements kind of for sharing a bed uh, for 550 euros. So all of those things kind of just coalesce. And as a result, I'm still in my childhood bedroom um, in Swords. And it just, as, as you mentioned, you do feel trapped. Like it just, there's no, there's no progression. There's too many systemic barriers for me to currently um, plan to move out, which is a shame. Yeah, and that's the thing. And I suppose making that comparison, Shauna, as you say, you're what you're you're three years out of college, and you 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 are working, thankfully, precarious as it is. But there's no choice, really. You have to you have to live at home. Yeah, and I am fortunate. Like I do get on so well with my parents, and I have two younger brothers, and like we are a great little team. But you do sacrifice certain things, like. There's only you can only be so independent when you still live with mommy and daddy. You know they're always going to look out for you. They're they'll happy to keep dinner for you if you're out late working or whatever. And obviously they're bonuses, but but from an adult point of view, it is difficult to kind of make your way in life when you still feel like the sixteen year old you were. You know a couple of years previous. You know it is difficult to mature and move on. And. Would your experience be replicated by a lot of your friends? For example, I'm talking now, not just like obviously in college, you're dealing in the media, which as I say is precarious, but even in a broader sense, those perhaps you were in school with who may have gone down different career paths. Have you noticed, is thing, are things very similar with them or are some in a more fortunate position than others? So it does depend on, I suppose, what career path you take. But I have noticed a huge increase in um, fixed term contracts among people my age, uh, regardless of what sector they go into, like I have friends in science and teaching, um, in retail even, and they could be given a year contract, a two-year contract, a six-month contract, which is all well and good when you're young. But for example, if you're looking for a mortgage, you know, that goes against you because will you have a job after two years and things like that? Um, and pre- predominantly, my friends are still living at home. Um, if they're not living at home, they are house sharing with like 
four or five other people or they're sharing a room with their partners, perhaps they're living in their partner's um, home. So it is very much across the board. These barriers are preventing people of my age from progressing their lives. And I'm just curious, say when you were in college or when you were a younger age and, you know, we all start out and we have various ideas of... um, well, particularly in your 20s, socialising and the type of life, you know, you can get up to all sorts of things. And I'm just wondering, was there a stage where you realised, well, it ain't going to be like it's in the movies or like a previous generation had it. Uh, I'm going to be living at home. Or is this a kind of a, a mentality that unfortunately is there from a very young age that you're not going to be able to make that kind of break simply for financial reasons? I think it really hit for me when I was in college. Um, probably naivety like I was very young going into college I was 17 in my first year so I was still bright-eyed and bushy-tailed and I thought the world was great (laughs) but then when you're kind of coming to the end of your degree you realize okay I'll probably earn this much uh, for the first couple of years and rent is half of that so considering I live in Dublin I couldn't justify spending half of my rent to live somewhere when I could live at home for considerably cheaper. Obviously, I still contribute to my household, but it's nothing compared to market rents. So I think it definitely hit early on um, because it's it's unavoidable. Like if you look at any newspaper or listen to any radio or podcast or anything, it, it's so ubiquitous that things just aren't as they were in previous generations. Yeah, that's it. That definitely seems to be the case and, and, and you're the ones living through it. Ryan, just to turn to you, um, your situation, I think you're from County Limerick, isn't it? Yeah, Limerick. I'll be in Limerick. And tell us a bit about yourself in terms of where you went to college, what you studied and, and just your living circumstances. Um, well, I turned 27 this Sunday. Um, I went to college in the University of Limerick. Congratulations. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, I, I went to college in the University of Limerick, um, so not too far from home. Um, my my parents would have both been on welfare growing up, so they would have rented as well growing up, and they wouldn't have been able to financially support me too much throughout college. So I worked for a lot of it doing kind of the the lower end jobs, door to door sales and whatnot. Um, all all with the guys that uh, I get a good degree, and hopefully, uh, hopefully I then get uh, a good job, and eventually maybe will afford a house. And what do you study in college? I studied journalism, um, same as Donna. Um, so yeah, I always loved writing and took the plunge, even though we were repeatedly told there wasn't any jobs there. And uh, as you can see yourself, it's already gotten worse, but uh, it was worth doing. And as you said, Ryan, you, you, you worked to support yourself in college. What kind of jobs would you have done there? Uh, anything I could find, really, but um, door-to-door sales is what I found a knack for. Um, there was good enough money in it and I could work my own hours. Um, and not many people wanted to do it because it's not the not the most friendly job. You you're going around and you're knocking on people's doors. You're interrupting their their private time, and people people often don't like you for that. But uh, it had to be done. And you know, again, and look, like a lot of people, I worked in college myself. I worked in a bar, but you, you know, you 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 do these kind of jobs if you're fortunate enough to be getting a, a college education, and you're sort of doing it with a view to okay, this is going to get me through college, and then hopefully avenues will open up but it hasn't really been that way I mean work wise how did things go once you left college I got a I got an internship right off the bat with the, the Irish Independent which was great um, and then when that ended 
I, I landed down in the Kerry's Eye, which isn't too far from Abbey Field. It's actually closer to Abbey Field than Limerick would be. So it was kind of my own neck of the woods. And it was great to get in and get writing. And obviously it was my first proper job. So the wages for me were great and I was loving life. But like you quickly realise that uh, it's going to be like this for a long time. Um, you you get small increases in wages but the housing prices aren't going to come down. You're spending a good bit of money on rent. Even down there in Tralee, the rent was, I think, €400 Euro a month. So it was a good bit of my wages. Um, so, yeah, I was sharing with four other people. It was a small little house. You feel sometimes like you're working a lot of hours and you're not really you're not, not really getting anything out of it. And I suppose you do that for a while under, under the impression that uh, one day it's going to be better. But uh, another problem with working in the media is you cover things like housing and you realise it's not getting better. The housing's going up, the rents are going up and uh, your wages aren't going up. So it gets a bit depressing. And you're living in Limerick now, in Limerick City, Ryan, is it? I do, I do. I got a job at the Limerick Leader after the Kerry's Eye and um, I moved down here. And then unfortunately, when the pandemic struck, I was let go with a, a number of other of my colleagues uh, across the country. And... Um, uh, I stuck stuck it out, and the examiner the examiner offered me a job, and because of remote work, and I was allowed to stay in Limerick, which is great. I, I I love the city here, and it's it's my neck of the woods. So yeah, I'm still here. I'm um currently renting. We're sharing a two bedroom house, me and my girlfriend, with another couple, and all together the rent is one thousand two hundred a month. And like, don't get me wrong, it's a lovely apartment, but it, it's not worth 1200 a month. And so there's, there's four of you in there, two couples paying that. And in terms of yourself, you described remote working. So you're working from home within that apartment as well. Yep. Uh, and so so is my housemate. So we're kind of stuck for space. And then my girlfriend was finishing college. So she's doing college as well. So we're all stacked on top of each other a bit. Yeah, it does sound. I mean, even even that element of the remote working that 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 adds to that feeling of uh, being packed in effectively, I suppose. And tell me, Ryan, have you examined or looked for a scenario whereby, in the longer term, you might be hoping to uh, to buy a house or rent somewhere just yourself and and your partner? I did. I looked into it. Uh, I gave it a proper look and it was actually quite funny because one day I was coming home from working in the Limerick Leader. I was about to get the bus up to one of the old houses I was living in, which was a, a dire house. It was destroyed in mould. It was leaking. It was it was horrible. And I was paying €450 Euro a month for that room. Uh, and there was five other people living with us. And uh, there, there was a, a group of people. They were stopping people and they were basically trying to encourage people to think about mortgages. And they were trying to explain to me what I could what I could afford for a mortgage, and they were full of positivity coming up to me, and they, they thought that uh, they were definitely going to be able to talk me into a sale. And then I told them my wages, and they told me what I'd be able to afford for a mortgage. And I, I had already looked around; I know what I could buy for that, and what I buy for that, I wouldn't want to buy it. I wouldn't want to live there, and there's there's not no disrespect to the people who are living there, but I would rather rent somewhere and pay a bit extra for now and live in comfort then live in a place where I don't feel safe or I don't feel comfortable or I'm going to be getting sick so I, I looked into it and it's just not viable any time in the future yeah and that is the issue and I've heard someone else speaking about this during the week uh, in terms of renting and obviously and we've all experienced it remember before I 
well, my first house renting, you, you, you do have to lower your expectations or what when you actually buy a place, and that's understandable. But you seem to be suggesting that that time when it may be possible to buy is just not there on the horizon and that the future, should you decide to stay in, in, in the business, in the country, in Limerick or whatever, is uh, renting without any possibility of that coming to an end. It is, because the, the house prices are so high for what they are. It'd be like walking into McDonald's and then expecting you to pay the price for a five-star meal. And I, I just don't feel right doing that. I'm not going to go and do that. I, I, I would rather save my money and go off to Spain or go off to Europe and buy a house. I, I, like, I've looked into that too. And by the time I save a good enough deposit for a mortgage here... I'd have halfway to a good house, a nice house in in rural Spain, and with the way working's going, with remote working going, I, I could have a job that I could work from home in Spain. And a lot of my friends are looking at this possibility too, and it's going to be a new, in my in my view, it's going to be a new wave of immigration because we're not going to be restricted to English-speaking countries, Australia, America, the UK. We're going to be able to go where we want if we have the right jobs. If we have jobs, you can work remotely. And you see news articles all the time of houses going in Italy for next to nothing, houses going in this place and that for next to nothing. And they're nicer than what I'd be paying here in Limerick by miles. I, I could get way better value. Why would I stay? In that context, Ryan, could you envisage a scenario whereby you'd be working, if, for example, if you were in the media, working the Irish Examiner or whatever, um, and that <laughs> effectively working remotely from another country? Jesus, that would be lovely, but uh, <laughs> we'd have to talk to the bosses about that one. Um, it, it wouldn't be in the near future, I don't think. Like, uh, my girl, no, it like, wouldn't be in the media, but th- th- there are certainly other sectors where that kind of thing would be possible. Obviously, you know, you couldn't if you have to be down, if you'd be down covering a match in Limerick, you're not going to be doing it from Spain. But there are sectors where that type of uh, working life is, is evolving. Exactly. Like, um, I, I have a friend who, who works with computers, that, that, that's his gig. He could work from anywhere in the world and he could be working for an Irish company and could be working from anywhere in the world. And there's plenty like that with the growth of the growth of online and everything that goes with it. So I, I, I've tried to build myself so that that would be a possibility in the future. Now, don't get me wrong. I, I love my job here and I love life here and I love Ireland, but I don't feel like Ireland wants... I don't, I don't feel like the country wants to keep me and I don't feel like it wants to keep a lot of people like me. It'll keep the people who can go and work in the factories like Regeneron, that, uh, the people who are doing my biometrical engineering, the people who will be earning 60, 70, 80 grand a year. But if you're earning less than that, it's not that they actively want you to leave, it's just you're not that important to them. Sean, from your point of view, and, and again, your own circles, um, is immigration a possibility on the horizon or, or, is, or are you at a point where you, you, you'd hopefully have your mind set on, on staying in this country? Me personally, I would prefer to stay in the country. But as Ryan said, like if the country doesn't want you, why would you stay? You know, it, like the problem, I think, or, or another element of the problem would be so if you have a partner, it's more feasible to stay here because you've dual incomes. You may be able to uh, buy a house or afford a home. But I I don't have a partner currently and I 
don't have any short term plans of obtaining one. But <laughs> um, so that's kind of another um, complexity because you can only borrow three and a half times your income uh, for a mortgage. And like that would that wouldn't even get you a quarter of a house in Dublin, you know. So when all these issues stack up, you're kind you do examine, would I be better off going elsewhere where wages aren't stagnated, where housing is more affordable, where there are more opportunities um, and where you feel more valued. Yeah, and I, I think as Ryan referenced there, one issue there that the traditional places, particularly um, the likes of London um, and the States, the big cities in the States, New York, I, in, the, in in another lifetime I'd experience in both of them. Um, in those areas, the housing issue that is a problem here would also be there, but I think it's also fair to say, again, as Ryan mentioned, your generation perhaps has has different options and better options that you're not stuck to those traditional routes. Yeah, that's it. Exactly. And I also think because um, if, if you look at the generational divide in terms of having families, we have them kind of much later now. So it's not as if I immediately want, you know, a, a semi-detached three-bred home. So I could... I could get an apartment or I could get um, kind of a, a shared accommodation space, uh, kind of like co-living, but to a much lesser scale, like not 20 people sharing a, a kitchen, but maybe five people, you know. So there are those options that you could um, consider. And then, as Ryan mentioned, you could go to other European countries that maybe don't, that English isn't their first language. You know, th- th- there are more options now, um, particularly with the readily available aviation sector compared to maybe 20, 30 years ago. Shana, do, do you feel in any way resentful to the older generation? Now, and I, quite obviously, I'm not talking about on, on, on an individual basis or what have you, but in more general terms, in terms of where the country is now at with that generational divide. I wouldn't say resentful, but I definitely say disappointed because it's not just one issue. Like, it's not just if we build more houses, then everything is solved. Like, there are so many different barriers and different expenses that we have as a generation now that perhaps you didn't. Like, both my parents, for example, neither of them went to university. So I have a higher level of education, but the chance of me getting a mortgage versus how they got a mortgage, like, they got one straight away, you know? And I don't really have a hope in the next five, ten years of obtaining one. So th- there is a level of disappointment as opposed to resentment. Yeah, that's really illustrates it, doesn't it? As you say, like, and again, that's another element of the intergenerational thing, the higher education attainment of the younger generation, yet notwithstanding that, and quite obviously expectations would come out of that about a standard of living, particularly when you look at your parents and that, uh, when individuals look at their parents, and uh, at the end of that, to realise, uh-oh, it ain't going to work that way. It's definitely, um, there's definitely an issue there. One other thing, Shauna, and, and this is something then that someone else said to me, and, you know, it's, it's in a different context, and I think I know the answer, but if you look back at, go back to my generation, I sound like a fella there now, who, one of these fellas who said, I get up in the morning and I have to go out and kill a chicken for the breakfast in my bare feet back when I was a lad. But what I'm really saying is, uh, the, the the generation I grew up in, small little lifestyle things, mobile phones, okay, they weren't around, but that type of accessory and the cost of that type of accessory. But even other things like eating out, I mean, I could safely say neither me nor my friends, certainly until we were in our early 20s or later, 
eight out or, or eight much food out bar the, the chipper at the end of a few pints. Foreign holidays, that type of thing. The, the, the millennial generation have a level perhaps of expectation that 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 type of lifestyle um they're in, I wouldn't say entitled to it but that 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 uh it's there there might be a pressure for it and that's not a, a, a an inexpensive way of living either no it's not and it's a valid point but what kind of irks me about this argument is that um if you removed all of them you still have the issue that I can only borrow three and a half times my salary and that will never ever match the cost of a house. So even if if I removed all my luxury expenses as we may call them, it doesn't change the situation and it just removes any any of the positive experiences that I do get to have, you know. And also I do believe that the cost of those things have come down. Like if you if you think of the cost of a flight twenty years ago, it was considerably more expensive than the ten euro Ryanair flight to London nowadays, you know. So you have to take that into consideration too. And I also don't think that um young people squander their money to that regard in that if they don't have the funds to go abroad one year, they won't go. If they can't go out for dinner, oh, they'll tell their friends, I can't go this week, but maybe next month after I get paid. You know, like there's a level of responsibility and awareness of how much money we have versus how much we can spend. And I think that argument is kind of redundant to say that that's the sole reason that we can't um, make ma- make waves um, in the world. I think you're dead right. And I think there's another point to it too. And that is, as I described when I was that age, whatever, effectively, we grew up in a different country, grew up in a country that was relatively poor. And the issue today is on a national level, it's a far wealthier country. And therefore, anybody growing up in it would have some entirely reasonable expectations in that regard. And, and obviously, as well, the point you make about irrespective of that, that's superficial in a financial sense when you put it up against the inability to um, to be able to own a home. Ryan. Other things also feed into kind of pressures that are on the millennial generation. Issues around mental health. Is that anything that you've noticed among peers and your like that friends um, due to the various pressures that are there, I suppose, in the first instance? There's a real feeling of hopelessness um, and it's hard. It's hard to deal with because uh, you don't you don't have, you don't feel like it's going to get better. Uh, and I don't know. I don't know. If it's. If it's just the media, and it's ironic, we're saying that in the media, but uh, and it's social media and that, but it seems like the world is consistently getting worse, and more and more obstacles are being put in our way, and that does, that does leave a huge, huge pressure on your mental health. And uh, I live down by the river here in Limerick, and one of the most horrible things you ever hear is the helicopter going overhead because you know somebody's family might be ruined that day, and something horrible might have been happened that day, and that that kind of sound just echoes through you and it reminds you of not just what you're going through yourself, but how many other people around you are going through the same thing. And like I, I, I've i lost friends recently enough to that and it, it's horrible. And I do feel the situation economically plays a big part because with our parents' generation, with your generation, you, you were you you got houses, you had houses by... by 25, 26, you might have been already in a mortgage. Whereas I, I don't think I'd have one before 35 if I was looking for one. I'm always going to be throwing money into rent, even if it's not here. It could be abroad. 
that that adds up. It means that you're never going to live the high life. This, and not even the high life that you see on TV, but the the high life your parents had, the the high life that you grew up around. Uh, we all grew up in the Celtic Tiger, where money was everywhere, and now money's nowhere. Yeah, that of course is a, an extra thing as well. That because that was illusionary wealth, it was really a situation where it was under never never effectively. But I can totally understand that people who grew up in that period would be left with the impression that this is really where it's at and what you're aspiring towards. But Ryan, you used the word there, you said hopeless. Like, I can understand in terms of when you look at in isolation at the issue of inability to buy a house, but correct me if I'm wrong, I, I get the impression you're, you're using that phrase in a wider sense. The inability to buy a house is an issue. Now, from my recollection of my 20s and those I would have known, there is a, a, a still a great awakening. There is still a sense of everything is ahead. There's a, an excitement about a lot of things and you're also at a period in your life when for example you know you're socializing a lot you're meeting people you're seeing a bit of the world whatever i mean i get the impression from you that that um level of excitement is not something you perceive among your 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 peers not anymore no um up until I'd say we were about 20, 23, 24, yeah, we had that excitement. That we we're going to get out into the world and it was going to be this great place. But uh, nowadays I work. I work five days a week. I work long hours. I spend half my money on rent. I, I, I don't get, I don't have meals out. Uh, I don't, I don't, I don't even drive a car. I don't get foreign holidays. I'm spending all my money to survive and I'm working all day to do it. Um, and I, I suppose I, I would have more hope. I wouldn't be as hopeless if I thought that one day this was going to be for something. But like, can anyone actually sit there and tell me it's going to be for something? Like, uh, I see people, people in our industry, people 10, 20 years my senior, who, who are in the same position I am now. They don't own their own home. They're, they're, they're renting still. Some of them are living at home with their parents. And like, it, it it can be hard to take sometimes. I know I'd have a positive attitude. I, I I'd keep going no matter what. But uh, it, it hits home with a lot of my friends. And then there's a lot of unemployment at the moment. Uh, like there there was figures there recently that sixty one percent of those under twenty four are unemployed right now. Uh, and it's something like twenty five percent above that. Uh, from the next age bracket up, that that's massive. Like um. You're sitting there with nothing to do during this pandemic. That's really taken a toll on this generation, and that that's not going to go away. The support services aren't there. It's hard. Yeah, that is a huge issue. Youth unemployment. There's no question in the world about. And again, not confined to here, but that doesn't make it any easier for for people here. But that is definitely a huge issue. Shauna, just turning to you again, um, the blockages, the trap generation, what have you. Do you have any sense that your peers again and colleagues and what have you? are more politically aware as a result of that. And the big thing I, I wonder about is traditionally younger people are not engaged with the political process. Do you think the type of stuff that's going on at the moment will result in younger people becoming more aware on the most basic level, going out and voting, which is not something when any of us were young, people did in, in any great numbers? Yeah, I think we've kind of already begun to see that turn already. Like if you think back to the marriage equality referendum or the Eighth Amendment referendum, they were led by youth votes. 
Um, so I think young people get passionate about things that affect them or affect their peers. And this is clearly a massive issue that does affect us. Um, I think the difference is perhaps like my, my parents, for example, they, they vote in every election. But if you were to tell them that we had a PRS TV um, electoral system, they'd be like, what does that mean? You know, they, they don't actually understand the concepts of how things work. Whereas now, because there's so much anger and frustration and, and disappointment and hopelessness, as, as Ryan said, they feel and we feel, I suppose, that the only way to um, change is to take political action to protest, to to speak up, whether it's on social media or with your friends or with your family. Um, and you, you can even see that in the pandemic, for example, like there, there's been vaccine hesitancy kind of among um, some of my maybe older family members. And it's something I'm very passionate about because I know to resume normal life, we need a high level of um, vaccine uptake. So it's like sitting them down and, and talking through it. And that's kind of present across all issues among my age group, I think. So I think you're right. I do think it's going to begin to see um, this inclination towards the political system and not necessarily towards party politics. Um, I, I think there's kind of been a decline in party allegiance in recent years. I don't really think, you, you know, like if, if you think 10 years prior, you had very strong Fianna Fáil families and every generation within that family always voted for Fianna Fáil. And I don't think that's there anymore, but I think there's more of a, um, a, a commitment to issues and to dealing with issues uh, irrespective of, the, of party politics. Yeah, I take up on one thing there now, and this is just my opinion, but I, I wouldn't necessarily agree that the, the referenda campaigns were all about young people. I mean, us all fogies, that the, there was plenty of our generation, I'm thinking in particular of the Eight Amendment referendum, I recall a number of, of, of women in particular who had been active for 30 or 40 years. But I take your point. There was definitely a broader feeling. But when when you say, Shauna, about people more interested in issues rather than political parties, I'm curious about the whole business of voting, whereas you would not have family allegiances to a political party. Would you envisage that far more people, for example, at the next general election, would you envisage that we're as I presume it will be, housing will most likely be the, the, the main topic. Will younger people in your situation, who for whom housing and the lack of it is a huge issue, will they go out and vote in your opinion? I do think so. The only kind of uh, gripe that my, my friends have told me or even just casual conversations with people among my age is voting in a referendum, for example, you get a direct result. You say yes or no, and this is what it will achieve. And you know exactly. But then when it comes to voting in an election, sometimes it can feel like you're voting for different people, but the same policies remain in place. And, and there aren't the, ch the dramatic or rocket speed changes that you would hope for and, and kind of need on an issue as prominent as housing. So I do think there will be a bigger turnout. Um, but I think there will still be that disillusionment around um, the political system in that regard. Yeah, that's interesting. That's a very good point, actually. That that And one other Question then finally in that respect, in terms of political engagement, is it all social media? Is that how p political parties are reaching out to younger people? Is that how younger people exclusively get their politics through social media, do you think? 
I would say predominantly, but not exclusively. So there are conversations among peers, like even when you're out at the pub or we're out in the pub in pre-COVID times, you know, you'd be talking about what you heard on the radio that day and then that conversation spirals into a bigger issue. So it's kind of, see, the problem with social media is, uh, as we all know, it's kind of an echo chamber. You follow people with similar views, whereas in real life, you can be friends with people and not actually realise they've completely disparate political views than you so then they bring forth different viewpoints that maybe you hadn't considered or hadn't thought about and so predominantly yes social media but I do think there is room uh, to increase the kind of face-to-face interaction with these issues and even if you think of those in universities and in colleges there are uh, youth wings of the political parties or there's debate societies where you get to discuss these issues and bring your concerns and your solutions to the fore Um, so there are other avenues. Right finally and very briefly I'd ask Boaty and I know this is a very unfair question but I'm going to ask it anyway. Ryan Optimistic or pessimistic about the future? <laughs> pessimistic. Oh, God. Shauna? Pessimistic. Oh, God. Okay, folks. Well, look, as, as uh, I think, wasn't, wasn't it Tony Blair used it as, as his, uh, his team tune? D-Ream was it. Uh, things can only get better. We'll have to look at it that way. Ryan and Shauna, thank you very much for joining us today. Folks, you can read work from both Ryan and Shauna in the Irish Examiner and well worth reading their work it is thanks also to our engineer JJ Vernon you can get the podcast on the usual platforms and you can get your digital subscription to the Irish Examiner on the website see you soon On Formative, middle school kids from New York City public schools interview a phenomenal collection of grown-ups me like I don't know what I want to do You don't have to have all the answers. I feel like a lot of people's favorite topics are like interest in their life. That is a really good answer. The podcast where the leaders of today are interviewed by leaders of tomorrow. Listen now at newyorkedge.org slash formative or wherever you get your podcasts.